Okay. Chav Gimel Teves. This Shabbos Pasha Va'eda. Where Hashem tells Moshe, as almost a continuation of the previous Pasha, in answer to Moshe's question, where it's Final pasuk is God is starting to reinforce Moshe's understanding and belief of the actual redemption, and therefore he begins now the Pasha Veira El Avram. I am the same one that showed himself to the forefathers, and of the great names of God that he mentions now to Moshe. This Erev Shabbos, Mechem is Chavdalet Teves, the yard site of the Altarebbe. Many people are traveling to Hadich, where the Altarebbe is buried. I don't know if anyone actually is going to go this year because of the Friday. don't know how that works logistically to get back to a civilization. But I believe you could stay there. There's a whole this little city they built around over there by the oil. Due to the inclement weather, was a consideration this week to try and experiment via Skype. If anybody still wants to sign on, there's always the capacity to sign on at Yitzchak Hecht. Yitzchak dot Hecht, Y-I-T-Z-C-H-O-K dot Hecht. Number two. Skype. Okay, that's one person in. Whoops. Okay, we don't have you on the video. We can't see you yet. I don't know why. We have to figure out how to get your camera working properly. Welcome. Pasha's Vaida. Problem with the sitting on the Skype is you don't see the rest of the crowd. And you also don't get to eat the jelly rings. You have to just watch other people eat them if we get around the camera. Pasha's Vaida. Let me unplug this. In case you're talking, I can hear what you're saying. You know how to turn on your camera? You can hear me? I hear you, but if you go to the bottom of your screen you'll see a little camera, a video camera, you just click on that and it'll open your, your camera too. Pashvera begins with the Makis, the plagues that God bestows on the Egyptians. The first seven Makis are in Pashvera, as we see Vaira, Vav, Aleph. Vav is six and Aleph is one, is seven, and therefore the seven in Pasha's Vaeda, Pasha's Boy is Bez Aleph, which is Gematria 3, and therefore there are three Makis, the three subsequent Makis are in Pasha's Boy. In Pasha's Vaeda, we know that the first of the Makis begins before, prior to any Makis, there's a very interesting display that goes on in the palace of Paray. A display that Aaron and Moshe come to confront Paray and they give him the message that it's time to let the Jews go. Just to put things in more of a Hasidic perspective. Amongst the Attributes, the Sphiris, Netzach and Hoid are very, very similar, but yet Netzach is substantially higher than Hoid. 
There's Netzach, Hayd, Yisayd, and Malchus in the four of Nehemi. The Pasuk tells us, Moshe ben Shmeinim Shana, Aaron ben Shalish, Shmeinim Shana. When Moshe and Aaron come before Parai, the Pasuk tells us they are 80 and 83 years old each, respectively. 80 and 83 are 163, which is Gematria, Netzach, and Hoid. And therefore, the ages that they are being mentioned here is to tell us that they came to Mparei with the Koyach of Netzach and Hoid. We find a little bit difficulty in the language barrier here, in the Diktuk, when we understand that Moshe had a problem with speaking. We find different expressions that Moshe uses when he tells the, who speaks to God in his dialogue about releasing the Jews, being the Redeemer. But firstly we understand that this Parsha is to an expect a continuation of the story of the Geula that now star- started in last week's Parsha. But as we said before, that last week's parasha finishes off with a question that Moshe Rabbeinu asks of God, look, now they're in more trouble than they were before. They tell a story. They tell a story of a a couple lived in the Alta Shtetl, in the old Shtetl, and they were not familiar with all the customs. And since they were not familiar with all the customs, they were not familiar with all the customs, therefore they had a little problem. We got disconnected a second. One second. We got to get back on here. Oh, he's offline. Okay. Not familiar, not being familiar with all the Jewish customs, they had a little problem, an issue. And one of the issues was a holiday that came up, which is the holiday of Passover, Pesach. And they had to learn how to prepare for Pesach. And learning how to prepare for Pesach, the wife turns to the husband and says, so what do we do? And the husband says, I don't know. She says, what do you mean you don't know what to do? She says, I don't know how to prepare for Pesach, the husband said. They were ignoramuses, says Nebuch. And they were going to prepare for Pesach, so the wife says, we have to prepare. Everybody's preparing for Pesach, how are we not preparing? So he says, I'll go next door and I'll find out. She says, good. He goes out to the next door neighbor, but he doesn't want to knock on the door and say, how do we prepare for Pesach? So he goes next door, and he decides he's going to look in through the window. Help the neighbor, the husband and the wife were in the middle of a very, very strong, severe fight. And the wife at this point of the fight had taken the boom and started hitting him over the head. And he said, yeah, broch. This is how you prepare for Pesach. I'm in trouble. And he goes back home, and his wife says, No, what did you see? I, I'm so thirsty. Takes a glass of water, he makes a bracha, he starts to drink. And she's waiting for him to finish, and he was not finishing. He says, But what did you see? And he's drinking water, drinking more water, and he's taking a napkin, and he's finally she starts screaming at him, What did you see? And he doesn't answer, and he, she takes the broom, and she starts hitting him on the head. She says, I don't understand. He says, so you did know what's this to make you shake? Why did you send me if you knew how to prepare for Pesach? This is what Meshach Rabbeinu's time that here was. You knew that the Yidin are going to get into more trouble. You knew it's going to get harder for the Yidin and now you're going to send me out to go to do this to them. And they were there, and I'm not going to let them out. I didn't let down their forefathers and I have a promise to their forefathers and therefore I'm going to take them out as well. And we have the four lishenis of Gula, v'hitzesi, v'hitzalti, v'galti, v'lakachti. 
<coughs> then the ultimate Lashon says, the Rebbe, the ultimate Geula in itself, of the Geula of Bnei Yisrael, out of the Golas. Because Mitzrayim's Geula is the first Geula of all the other Geulas, of all the other redemptions. We find a very strange dialogue here. Moshe says to God, you know I have a problem with speech, I have a speech impediment. And Moshe speaks before Hashem and he says as follows, The Jews are not listening to me. And then how will Parai listen to me? And I have blocked lips. I'm, I have a speech impediment. <coughs> In essence, he's got it wrong. He should have spoken clearly. He should have said, I don't have proper... I don't speak right. So how does the Pasuk fit that he says at the end that now I'm Pasuk is very, very, very interesting shot from Yitzchak Varke. He says, Rebbeinu Shalom, I have news for you. You said, pocket Bakadati, you promised the Jews they're getting out of Golas. Beautiful. I went and I told them the news. And they said, Moshe, you're 80 years old, you're young to lose it like this. Why, you know, people live much longer than this, they don't lose it, they keep the... What are you cracking up on us here? You came back to Egypt to get to get patched, to get killed. What are you thinking here? We have jobs, we have a life, we have families, we have a house. up! Don't bother us. We're not interested in going anywhere. We don't like change. A change you leave for Obama. Zokter, Rebbeinu I have a problem here. Hey, Bnei Yisrael, them, the Bnei Yisrael, who are in Golas, and they're suffering. They don't want to hear me. They're not ready to leave. Eich, what will happen, Yishmei Fari? If Fari listens to me, it's okay, take the Jews. They don't want to leave. As any I'm going to be stuck, I'm going to be with blocked lips, I'm going to look like a total fool. <coughs> so we see from here, that Moshe's dialogue, each and every word that Moshe Rabbeinu uses and expresses to the Ebishter, has its own connotations to them. But there's different things that we learn, because the Ebishter tells us that the Teda is Lashon Heirah. And Teda is not a story. It sounds like a story. It's an amazing story, the Jews in Egypt. We know that the famous story of the story of the fellow that went to the Hebrew school. Fellow, a child went to Hebrew school. And when he came home from Hebrew school, his mother said, it's Passover time. She says, no, what'd you learn? So he said, there's a holiday, Passover. That's wonderful. Good evening. What's the holiday Passover all about? The holiday Passover is the Jews left Egypt. That's wonderful. How did they leave Egypt? Oh boy. He starts to get flustered. And he says, well, they had very, very intelligent spies. And they had a brilliant, brilliant crew. And they overpowered the Egyptian guards. And they killed all the dog, all the guard dogs. And they escaped. In the middle of the night, they all escaped. The mother starts scratching her head and she says, I don't know, it doesn't... This is not the story that I remember when I was in Hebrew school. Um, well, what else happened? They escaped and they started to run. Oh, so now she started getting interested. Her favorite part of the story was the splitting of the Red Sea. He says hello. Splitting, so he's, she's waiting to hear this. And he comes and he says, well, what happened after that? Well, 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 they were running. And then what happened? And the Egyptians started to chase them. Ooh, yeah. And they got to the uh, Red Sea. They got to the Red Sea. And what happened by the Red Sea? And again, now the boy starts to fluster and starts to shuffle from foot to foot. And <laughs> he's showing we have pistachios. Thank you.
And he says, um, they got to the Red Sea, and they did a brilliant thing. They took, they took, they took, mom, you wouldn't believe it, they took, they took barrels, and they threw the barrels into the water, and the barrels formed a bridge, and they started to run across the barrels. It was amazing, mom, you wouldn't believe it. And all the Jews ran, and the last Jew had a stick. And as he ran across each barrel, he busted the last barrel so the Egyptians couldn't catch the Jews. That was it. The mother lost it. The mother lost it. She started to scream, this is not what happened. Is this what your Hebrew teacher taught you? I'm not going to pay the bill. The boy starts to cry. She says, why are you crying? He says, mom, if I would tell you what my Hebrew teacher told me, you'd think I'm off my mind. You'd never believe this story. So I had to tell you something that sounds more feasible. Actually, very interesting. I got once uh, an email from one of the people listening to the shir online. And he says the brachas uh, enhance the shir, he says. He likes that it's, it sounds so much more human and so much more happening. People eating and drinking as it excites him. Uh, so to listen to this story as itself as a story is an amazing experience amazing story that plays the makis the happening was going on what does it really have with us what do we have from this thing what do we learn from this and not only we learn from this it has to be a life lesson because that's Torah Torah is Lashon And the Rebbe explains very, very beautifully, very eloquently. I love the expression when people say there's a beautiful sikha from the Rebbe. Because I'd also like to find out when the sikhas were not beautiful and what years. That's <laughs> <laughs> an amazing line. A beautiful sikha from the Rebbe, a beautiful thought from the Rebbe, a, be- a beautiful answer from the Rebbe. Some people, I guess, lose focus. The Rebbe explains as follows. Eish, Ruach, Mayim, and Ofer. The world has four elements. Fire, spirit, water, and dirt. There's also Doimim, Tzameach, Chayim, Edaber. Doimim being the lowest. Tzameach, Doimim being like a stone. Tzameach is something that grows. Chay is a live animal. And Medaber is the talking animal. Uh, the person. Yeah, what's really the difference between the behema, between the behema and the, the uh, person today? The, the person knows how to text, um, because you know you know that I don't know if you know the modern technology today. Several years ago, there was an amazing article in, in, in the internet about beepers, cow beepers, that in Japan. They put beepers on the necks of the cows, and when they had to come to eat, they would beep them. And the cow got the bzzz, and he said, okay, it's my turn to come eat. And so they trained the cows on a beeper basis to come essen. So I'm sure by now they must have upgraded it, and they, te- they text them. Maybe Skype. Or maybe they Skype them. <laughs> you can't. Virtual, virtual food doesn't work. <laughs> Spiritually, not physically. The kids are... It's an amazing thought that the Avishter goes and takes the first Makkah and he starts the first Makkah as, as with Dam, with the blood. He takes the water, the Nilus, the God that everybody's been bowing down to and he turns it into blood. Why do you turn it into mud? Do you drink mud? No. So why blood? Turn it to mud. Turn it to uh, face. To, turn it to chicken soup. Wait, I think we have somebody else joining us. One minute. One minute. Let's see. One second. So he turns. I 
Will people answer? I figured he's looking. Okay, he's signed on. He's Why else would he put the log on? <coughs> if he doesn't answer, he won't answer. He turns it into blood. If you didn't want the, the, Egyptian, the Egyptians. Your call has been forwarded yeah. on automated voice messaging system. Don't you automated voice then? How did that happen anyway? He goes to his cell phone. He goes to his cell phone. Ah, he has it on his cell phone. That's pretty easy. Okay. Now the question is how we get rid of them. Yes, it is. You mean name of the picture? No, no, no. Don't even clean it again. No, no, don't do it again. That's it. Okay, how do I get rid of them? How do I get back to one? Oh, I know how. Okay, I know how. Hold on. No, I don't. I take him off. I wish. I put... Where did he go? Mm-hmm. I got to call him back? Yeah, we I disconnected him? I guess you did. No, I didn't. You're on? I'm still here. He's still oh. there. Now the question is where you are. Ayeka. Uh, Ayeka, he doesn't know. Alright. It's my first time using this stuff, so I don't know. Okay, we got to find you. We're going to look at you. Okay. So the question, he turns it into blood. What is blood more significant than turning it into mud and turning it into... To, uh, Face borscht. Uh, why blood? Why blood? So the Rebbe explained. Oh, you disconnected him now. No, no, he's not still on. Yes, he's still there. Oh, oh no. Okay. So why blood? So the Rebbe explains the concept of blood is warmth. The concept of water is cold. So, whereas, oh gosh. You want to pass it? No, no, no. We'll go like this back out. here. Okay, we're fine. So the concept of, of the Abishan takes the cold of the water and he turns it into the warmth of blood. Says the says the Rebbe says, therefore the Abish is telling us the message that the person has to take within himself Sai and Aveda of Kedusha and Sai and Aveda of Tripa. In Kedusha there's warmth and there's cold, and in Klippa there's warmth and there's cold. In Klippa, in the opposite of Kedusha, the opposite of holiness, you take something as mundane as money, and the Mishnah says, Whoever has a hundred wants two hundred. The Mishnah is not giving us a blessing with this. The Mishnah is not giving us an, a, an insight in psychology. Mishnah ultimately is Mitzvah the Chasidusa. It's brought down in Pirkeyavis. Why is it brought down in Pirkeyavis? To teach us that this is not the way to behave. The nature of the human being is a person has 100, wants 200. The Rebbe says a person has 200, doesn't want 300, he wants 400. The, per- the concept of the person wanting more of this physical world. The famous story of the Bashemta when the Tamilim came out in the winter. Almost to what we have in New York today was a river was the river in Mezhbush was frozen and the Goyim had carved out at Salem a cross in the river. And the Tamid Bashantov came out and they saw this horrific sight, this Salem. And they came running back into the Bashemtiv, they were catching their breath. Why were we exposed to Salem? Why were we exposed to this horrific cross? And the Bashemtiv said, Whatever you see is a lesson. And your lesson, your life lesson in this is simple. As long as something is cold and frozen and calculated like ice, a person can carve a cross into it. But a person has to have warmth in them. If you add warmth to it, it melts. As long as the warm water, the river is water, you can't carve anything into it. This, says the Rebbe, is how a person has to act sai in his Kedusha and sai in the other words person has to have warmth, because if the person doesn't have warmth, automatically the cold manages to creep in. Automatically the cold manages to manifest itself and to find itself in the person. And this is the lesson that teaches us how we have to live our daily life from the first makkah, of the makkah of dam, how the water gets turned into dam. The next makkah is for there. Thanks. The Makkah of Tzvadeya 
is the strongest lessons of them all. Not for me. I, I've eaten my life. I've eaten my lifetime cake. Be right back. I've eaten my cake for my life. Actually, it's just. Uh, the Tzvadeya were no, were no slouches. It's called a spade a spade. If I tell a, if a person is given a mission, you give it a mission, you go on a mission, you do your mission. If a person is sometimes told to do something, I mean, those who have workers can, tell, can attest to this all the time. You tell a worker to do something, and he comes back, and 87% of the job is done. Why didn't you finish it, you yokel? There's a story for everything. Everything has a story with a beard and pace. Didn't finish. Zachman, the Tzvardeya, come to teach us a new lesson. The Tzvardeya, the frogs, when they came to the Makkah of Tzvardeya, they came up with a concept called abnegation, Mesiris Nefesh. Mesiris Nefesh to a level that we don't understand. Where did the Tzvadeya go, says the Pasuk? They went to the ovens, they went to the... They went everywhere. They were told, invade Mitzrayim, they invaded Mitzrayim. You know, by the Shabbos table, we're going to you know, talk about the Makkas. So this Makkah actually is the most uh, colorful of them all. Describing the uh, large frog that comes out of the Nilos and um, looks like something out of a sci-fi movie and it comes marching down Main Street, Egypt and the Egyptians come running with their sticks and their poles and the things and they prod it and they poke it and they bang it and every time they hit it this frog opens its mouth to scream and thousands and thousands of frogs come out imagine the uh, invasion of frogs and that's why there's a machlekis in Rashi's Pshat when he describes what happened with the Tzvadeya, whether or not any Tzvadeya remained in the Nilos. Because technically the frogs all came out of this big frog. So in that case there was no... Because according to one opinion, some frogs remained in the Nilos. Those were original frogs that were there, the Nilos. The other ones that came to Egypt, came to Egypt now with the Maka, they went all over the place. But the original... Egyptian frogs, the homegrowns, didn't invade. The homeboys. Yeah. See, now you're experiencing a lot of uh, interesting experiences with your Skype. I don't have your video. Do you now? No. No? I don't know. It looks like I do because I see... I don't see you, but I hear you. Well, then we're defeating the purpose. Um, why would you not see me? Hit? I don't know why. Okay, it's, it's not my connection. So, Tzvadeya taught us a very interesting lesson of Mesiris Nefesh. To just pick up and go wherever they had to go. They had to be everywhere, they went everywhere. They're not, a, I mean, a frog is amphibious. A frog is cold. A frog goes in water. But a frog does not belong in heat. A frog cannot survive in an oven. A frog cannot take the, the, intense, the, the intense, intense heat of an oven. Or a pot, or a pan. Hold on, we're getting a new request. No, I have a new request. Hold on a second. A new guy popping in over here. Okay. Look on everyone if you're on top of the call. Hold on, as you run. Okay, but one minute, I gotta get them. Add in. people, click on add people on the bottom. Add people. Okay, where's this new person that just signed on? Should be on top, all the call. That's not them. Here they are on the bottom. Add the call. Okay, here they come. <coughs> So the Tzvardeya taught us 
the mesiris nefesh that a person has to have, the mesiris nefesh that has to be done for a mitzvah. A mitzvah cannot just simply be done, a mitzvah has to be done mamish with mesiris nefesh. And this is the way that the Tzvadeya taught. When the Friedrich Rebbe, the Rebbe Rayat, was told by his father, the Rebbe Rashab, that he had to go to Petersburg because there was a decree on the Jews. The Rebbe asked him, the son asked him, how long do I have to stay? And his father's answer was, till Mesidus Nefesh. <laughs> till Mesidus Nefesh. And the Xeda, the actual decree was in the hands of a, a minister named Stalinin. And Stalinin <laughs> was not easy, it was not accessible so easily. <laughs> Who? Mori, turn off your mic. It's not Mori, it's, it's Aviezer. Aviezer, turn off your mic. <laughs> You're coming across. You guys are coming across the morning. What? It's nice to see you on the screen once in a while. Okay, the, my, the mileage, you can always disconnect me here. You can hang me up. Yaron, are you I still... I don't need to disconnect you. Hold on, Yaron. Hold on, it doesn't cost me money. I'm not disconnecting you. All right, hold on. Yaron, you still there? I'm still here, but I'm still trying to get your video to work. I don't see you guys. I don't see you now either. That's the Yaron, problem. Yaron, on the I'm contacts. Gonna, well, you saw the I'm going to hang up and call it back. Okay, fine. Where's him? He didn't come on yeah. yet. Well, they pay for the connection fees. <laughs> okay. One second, we're calling one at a time here. He didn't answer either. Oh. Okay, let's answer with this. Oh, now what did I do? Hold on. Where's the other one? Okay. Now I got you. Okay, why don't I have them? Too slow for good video. Hello, what happened to the other one? Okay. I guess there's not enough bandwidth on your end for so many connections. No, no, mine is not a problem. Um, one second. Something, something went wrong here with the other, the other party. That's what I'm saying. There's too many parties trying to get connected in one. Uh... There shouldn't be a problem with you're it. You're on. You're on both. You're on both calls. It seems. Which both calls? Hold on a second, Iran. Iran, can you still hear me? No. You disconnected him. Is a call on hold. Zoom call. Okay, we're still missing. Yaron is missing. Who's that? That's no, it's not Yaron. No, that's them. Not on this There's call. Yaron. Okay, All we're right. getting back. Carry on. All right. Okay. So now, so the Friedrich Rebbe went to Petersburg, and he found that to get to Stalin, and he was a gefeder, a terrible antisemite. He wasn't getting through to this guy so fast. So what he found out was that there's a professor that was like a mentor of Stalinin. And this mentor of Stalinin was accessible. And the Friedrich Rebbe was a bright boy. And he went and he befriended this professor, the mentor. And after a while of befriending him, finally he opened it up and he told him why he wants to be befriending him. And he told him he needs access to Stalinin. The mentor said, I can't talk to him. I can't do anything for you. However, if you want to go in and talk to him, there's only one solution. You can get... I can give you my pass that will let you into the building where Stalin's office is. And you'll go and you'll uh, talk to him there. Friedrich Rebbe took the pass and he shows up by the gates and the guard is sitting there You have to understand that it was prohibited for a Jew to even be in Petersburg. To sit here by this gate, it's, it's, it's mind-boggling. But he produced a pass with a signature that made the, the guard shake. 
And he says, well, well, what, do, well, what do you want? He says, I have to go in. He says, go in. I'm not stopping you. And he went inside and he started to ask, where is... Oh, boy. I'm in the middle of a shirk. I call you back. And he asked the people, where is Stalinin's office? And they uh, started shaking. <laughs> Stalinin's office. Nobody even wants to talk about him. But they pointed him in the direction of Stalinin's office, and as he started to walk down the corridor to Stalinin's office, the door opens up. The door of Stalinin's office opens up, and out walks Stalinin. And he keeps walking right past the Friedrich Rebbe. Friedrich Rebbe said, thank you. And he walked right past Stalinin. And now Stalinin is not in the office, he can be in the office. And he went into the office, and he opened the door, and he openly saw on the desk where the decree was on the Stalinin's desk. And he took out of the stamps from Stalinin's drawer, instead of saying accepted, rejected, and he stamped it rejected in Fatik. That was the end of the decree, and he walked out. He went till Mercedes Levish. He could have gotten himself killed any point of this game. Walking in Petersburg, being in Petersburg, existing in Petersburg, coming to the place, the office, walking into this guy's office and doing it. It was mind boggling. But the Mercedes Nefesh was something that was worthwhile. Because this is what his father told him until Mercedes Nefesh. And this is what we learn from the Tzvardeya. The Tzvardeya were told, do something, they did not ask questions. They were more than an Akshin ben Aminadav. Because at the end of the day, an Akshin ben Aminadav doesn't jump into the water, he walks into the water. He walks in and he keeps going deeper and deeper. Do we know what went on really inside this guy's mind? It's not us to question. It must have been pure because ultimately the water splits. But he was walking in the water. Here, the Tzvardeya had no questions. They walked and they marched themselves straight in. This week is Chavdal Tevis. I just want to go off a little bit on a tangent, but it also has to do with the parsha here that we're talking Where the Abish that took in the Makis, he takes natural things and he takes them and makes a miracle, performs a miracle. We began to discuss the first confrontation of Aaron and Moshe, Moshe and Aaron. Sometimes the terrorist says it this way, sometimes the says it that way. And Rashi tells us very simply because to show us that they're equal. I didn't do it that way, it was Freudian. Um, I will not take any credit for that in spirituality. The first confrontation they have. Davisha tells Aaron, take your stick and throw it to the floor. And as he takes the stick, the staff, the staff, the famous staff, excuse me, throws it to the ground, it turns to a serpent. So Mitzrayim have plenty of uh, black magic, and they took the stick and they did the same. Their staffs turned to serpents. And then Hashem said, okay, take your staff back. And he took back the staff by the tail of the serpent and it turned back to a staff. And the Mitzrayim did the same. And then the miracle took place. The staff of Aaron ate the staffs of the magicians. He didn't have it as a serpent doing it, as a staff. The Gemara tells the famous story of a camel that someone once purchased and when the camel one day was drinking water it turned into a plank of wood a plank from a bridge and it was discovered that it wasn't a camel it was a somebody with black magic made this plank of wood into a camel and once something that's made out of black magic touches water it converts back to what it was so the question here was, what was this staff? The staff ate the other staffs. No, it ate the other staffs. Maybe it was a serpent. Maybe it was really a serpent, and he made it into a magical staff, and then the staff ate the other staffs, but it was a serpent eating, so therefore it was no bikuns. So therefore the Abisha said, take the staff and put it into the water to make the makazdam. By putting it to makazdam into the water, if it was indeed a serpent to begin with, 
then it would have turned back into a serpent. But it didn't. It remained a staff because it was a staff. That's what its nature was. And therefore the miracle was actually seen of the staff doing what it had to do. Eating and consuming the other the other staffs. Marcus Boros, on the other hand, the hail comes down. We find a very interesting lotion in Rashi. It's the end of the Pasha. Is the last marker of this parsha, and Pari is really having conniptions here already. And Pari found out something very interesting about Moshe. That Moshe knows how much tumah and avedazara, idol worship, goes on in Egypt, and therefore he never was misspelled for a marker to stop. He never prayed for a marker to cease until he left until he left the city. At this point, though, as the Barat fell, Pari came screaming and says, Listen, I know you have a problem here. Don't wait to leave the city. And Pari, in essence, was trying to tell Moshe, We, we, we don't believe in the Avedizar anymore. We don't believe in these, these, these um, idols and all the other Avedizar that we do here. And therefore they're nothing, and therefore it's not really Avedah Zara, and therefore you could daven here, you don't have to go out. But he still went out and he leaves. But interestingly, just to revert for a moment, we have also a Lashen by Makas Dam, where Pari ultimately tests Moshe. And in his testing of Moshe, he wants to see, is Moshe just a magician? Or is Moshe actually a messenger from God? And therefore when he tells him to turn the water back into, turn the blood back to water, um, I don't find right now before my eyes. Again, the lotion over there is why his heart becomes hardened after the Makkah because he sees that Moshe listens to him. Then he says, oh, that must be that Moshe really is only a magician and not God's messenger. Because if it was God's messenger, why would he not take the Jews out? I'm not, taking, I'm not letting the Jews go. He would leave the dam the way it was. But here, Pari doesn't feel that. Pari already starts believing Pari starts falling into that he says, he realizes he's in trouble here. But when Moshe starts to daven, again we have to find the Rashi, the Lashen of the Pasuk is, not that it just ceased, not just that the Barad stopped to fall, um, we actually find the Pasuk in Russian. Um, oh boy. No, we can't find the Pasuk. Oh, here it is. It's right here. Mafti, Vayetze Moshe Meim Parei. Esa'ir, he went out from the city. Vayifriz kapav el Hashem. Vayaktlu akel is abadad everything he receives. Umotor leinitach ortza, and the motor did not reach the earth. Nitach ortza, it did not come down anymore. What's the nitach ortza supposed to mean? It didn't reach the earth. Elamai, this is exactly what happens, says Rashi. The Barad stopped in midair. Rashi tells us it stopped in mid-flight. And it stopped in mid-flight to show that the Tzvila of Moshe had such an effect on it that it's now, it, it doesn't, because I had made it stop, it stopped entirely. <laughs> the problem was, what happened with this Barad? Where did it go? The door open over there? 
The Barad, according to most opinions, was used later by Yeshua. When Yeshua came to conquer the Me'avim, this Barad came with him. And then the Gemara tells us that the Barad, the extra Barad, is going to say for the Mechemes Gregor But we know that the Altarebbe did not want to allow anything in the physical realm of, of Napoleon. When the Altarebbe was leaving Napoleon, leaving the house, fleeing Napoleon, and they left the pantoffel, they left the slippers, he sent back for the slippers. We also know that the Altarebbe did not like to take physical things and make them spiritual. When the Altarebbe was going in the prison, Back and forth. To, yeah. Do you mind me asking what Gemara? What Gemara is the Gemara that says that the Barat didn't didn't come down and Yeshua you know, used it to conquer the way of the way of him? What Gemara is that? Uh, I will look it up and I will tell you after. Okay, okay. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I thought it was in front of you. I will look it up and tell you after. I don't remember exactly. No, 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 no. I just had the same question. I didn't understand, like, where did the Barat go to? Okay. And so he says, so the Altarebbe was going further. You're right, you're right, you're right, you're right, you're right, you're right, right there. You passed it. Yeah. And he says to him, <coughs> he was, as he was going back and forth for, for, for interrogations, says that the Altarebbe had to do Kiddush Levana. When he had to do Kiddush Levana, he asked the the roseman, the soldier that was taking him back and forth, to stop the boat so that he could do Kiddush Levana, because he now had to do Kiddush Levana in a moving, something's moving. And the guy refused. So when the guy refused, he told him, he, he made the boat stop himself. The boat stopped by itself. And then the boat, then the, the, the guy who froze, the guy didn't know what happened over here, why the boat, then he tried to move it, it wouldn't go. And ultimately, the Altarebbe let the boat move again, and tonight that he's going to stop the boat on his own, so that the Altarebbe can, so Altarebbe can do Kiddush Levana. Um... You put me in a predicament when you ask me these questions. Yeah, there's a Gemara. The Gemara is in Brachas Dafnundal Ramad Beis. There's a Medrash Tanchuma, Shmei Sraba, Psik Tezuta, Medrash Agoda. It's in many, many different places. Thank you. And so the Altarev finally allowed the fellow to go on with the boat. But the Altarebbe only then did he do Kiddush when the fellow stopped on his own. But the Altarebbe himself would not allow his way of stopping the fault. We told this story this Shabbos, this past Shabbos, because last past Shabbos we couldn't do anything but tell stories. of the Altarebbe, the famous story of the Altarebbe, which shows how the Rebbe had in mind people for all times. There's the famous story of the two people that we have to do very big kids of the story due to the tardiness of the hour. The Altarebbe, the two Jews that went astray, and they came to an inn. When they came to an inn, the innkeeper said they, were no, they weren't from at all. They didn't have they didn't have children with them, they didn't have yarmulkes on. But their noses must have given them away. So when they came to the inn, they asked for food. The innkeeper said the food's not kosher. And they said, There's no problem. So what do you mean it's no problem? That's not kosher. I can get you kosher food if you want. You're Jewish, aren't you? And they said, We're Jewish, but we don't keep anything. And they said, Not an idea. At the same price, I get you. They wouldn't hear of it. So the fellow stepped out for a moment, he came back in with his sons, and the sons were bearing knives. And he told them, 
if you'll notice, my inn is off the beaten path. Nobody's ever going to find you here. Nobody's ever going to see you here. Nobody's ever going to know you came here. We get people coming in here, we kill them, we rob them, and that's the end of you. And they started to beg and to plead because they, they've earned so much money, they had all the money with them. And he said, I'm not interested. They said, you know what, let us at least pray to God before we die. And they said, okay, I'll give you, how much time do you want? He said, ten minutes. He said, I'll give you an hour. And after an hour of crying and doing tshuva and begging and pleading, the Abish should save them. The man walks back in again with his sons. This time he's got trays laden with beautiful food, delicacies. And he says, eat to your heart's consent, content. It's all kosher. It's 100%. And people say, what are you mishuging about? And he says, no, I'll tell you what happened. He says, many years ago, there was a Rebbe that came to this town with all his chassidim. And he was passing through the town and the chassidim asked if the Rebbe could stay here for the night. I didn't understand. We were anti-Semites. We didn't like any Jews around here. But the fellow wanted to stay and I saw this fellow looked holy. I said, okay. I let him stay. And then after I asked him, instead of payment, I asked him for three blessings. One, that I should have longevity. I should live long. Two, that my inn should be successful, and three, that my children shouldn't be taken into the army. And all three blessings were completed to the utmost. I'm way over 80 years old, he says. But the Rebbe told me, I'm asking, giving you the blessings on a condition. One day, two Jews will come to your inn, and they will want, they will be consenting to eat code non-kosher, they won't consent to anything in Judaism. You have to give them the fright of their lives that they should do tshuva. So I forgot about this part of my deal until you walked in here today. And now, I thank God I was able to pay back my part of the bargain as the Rebbe had presented me with his case. And therefore, when we say now, this Shabbos, this Friday, Chavdal Tevis, and Mishatarach, we are a Shabbos, Yechel B'Shabbos, and therefore, there's nothing wrong with Habreng on Shabbos, also for Chavdal Tevis. And we should understand that the schusim of the Alter Rebbe are powerful, and not just the Alt-Rebbe's sword of his own generation, but putting out the Tanya and the Shulchan Aruch was something for future generations forever and ever, just like any part of Teda, of Teda Eira, Teda Lashon Eira that we have in the Chumash of Nigel the Teda, the Alt-Rebbe did with the Nista the Teda, and therefore we should be Zeichetake that the Alt-Rebbe, Bereshenu, Bereshenu, to take us out this Shabbos, this before this very Shabbos, and we should be this Chavdal Tevis, not in Hadish, but in Yerushalayim, in HaKadosh, from Heidev Yemenu, Amen.